BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. In my mind, if I decided to run for mayor of Chicago, I would not be running against Mayor Lightfoot. I'd be running uh, against the status quo. I'd be running against uh, com- complacency and recalcitrance. I'd be running for Chicago. Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman. My guest this week is State Representative Cam Buckner, chairman of the Illinois House Black Caucus. Cam, thanks for joining us. If I am not mistaken, I think I met you for the first time when you were serving in a leadership role at World Sport Chicago. That's an agency that grew out of Chicago's failed bid to host the 2016 Summer Olympic Games. Am I right about that? You're right about that. So World Sport Chicago um, was the brainchild of Mayor Daly and Pat Ryan. Uh, after the 2016 bid failed, what they said was that no matter what happened, that they would make sure that the bid left a lasting positive impact on Chicago and her neighborhoods through sports. And so um, they took the leftover, leftover money and started World Sports Chicago. And I was the executive director of that organization. And we um, impacted the life of about 80,000 kids in Chicago, uh, you know, over, over a number of years. Does it still exist? I haven't heard much about it lately. It does not. Um, so when I left, we actually rolled it in, into a, another sister organization uh, that was doing sport-based youth, youth development work around the Midwest. I see. I bet you were as surprised as I was when Chicago was knocked out in the first round of that sweepstakes in favor of Rio before we knew about the bribery scandal. Yeah, I remember that day like it was yesterday. I was uh, I was uh, working for Senator Durbin at that point in time, and I was walking from the train past Federal Plaza. And by the time I got upstairs to put my bags down, we had already lost. Uh, and I think it was a lot of shock and awe for many of us. It was. I I remember there was a collective gasp in the crowd that had gathered in Daly Center Plaza. We thought we had it in the bag and we were beaten at our own at our own game. We were used to uh, rigged elections and this was one. (laughs) Someone said that Rio out Chicago, Chicago. Yeah. Did you know instantly that something was fishy? I did not. I mean, I think I think I was more shocked than anything, than anything, right? Because we, uh, from all uh, reports that I had heard, we we put together the the best bid uh, up to that point in Olympic history. From from my friends in the international sports world, they were saying Chicago's got this in the bag. This is the best we've ever seen. Uh, and then to lose in that first round, I think there was a lot of questions about what what happened. And so I think I was more shocked than anything. Uh, But once the news came out later that there were uh, many untoward things going on, it it all made sense. 
Yeah, something was indeed rotten in Denmark, and it was Denmark. Yeah. It was Copenhagen. So Copenhagen. Now, yeah. Now you represent a 26 district in the legislature that contains all or parts of Bronzeville, Gold Coast, Grand Boulevard, Greater Grand Crossing, Hyde Park, Kenwood, Oakland, South Chicago, South Loop, South Shore, Streeterville, Woodlawn. Wow, that's a lot of turf and a lot of very diverse constituencies. How do you keep all those people happy? It is a lot of turf. And listen, it is the most uh, diverse district, I believe, in the state of Illinois. Uh, it looks just like Chicago. And, and it's uh, it requires, I think, a balanced approach, the balanced approach to make sure that I'm listening to uh, the wants, the needs, the desires of uh, the entire district. I find a way to kind of thread the needle and get to better policy and better implementation so that the entire district can thrive. But listen, the truth of the matter is, is Fran, we have uh, places like Washington Park that have a, a life expectancy uh, between like 59 and 64 years old. And then just seven miles north, places like Streeterville that have a life expectancy of you know, 91 to 93 years old. Uh, and the fact that that exists in the same city, in the same legislative district, really speaks to the fact that we've got to do a better job of bringing all our communities together. Yeah, and that was brought into very stark relief during the pandemic when we saw people from the have-not areas dying yeah. at a much at, higher at a, rate. At an alarming rate. Uh, and many of my uh, southeastern uh, zip codes and precincts I had some of the highest rates of, of COVID infection, uh, but also in the beginning had some of the lowest rates of um, uh, ability to get tested for COVID. Uh, and then in turn, we had uh, some of the lowest vaccine rates uh, initially as well. And so, um, you know, I, I said this in March of 2020 that COVID would not break us. It would just shine a light on us to show us what was already broken. Uh, and that was the things that were broken in our systems and our institutions, the things that were broken with our priorities. And I think that it's very true. And we've figured those things out in many ways. Uh, now we've got to find a way to fix them. Now you're seriously considering a race for mayor of Chicago next year against incumbent Lori Lightfoot. If you do that, Cam, you'll have to make the case for why Lori Lightfoot does not deserve reelection. What will your arguments be? What is the bill of particulars that makes Lori Lightfoot, in your opinion, vulnerable and, in your opinion, unworthy of a second term? Listen, I'll say this, um, and this might not be a popular opinion, but but I believe it. In my mind, if I decided to run for mayor of Chicago, I would not be running against Mayor Lightfoot. I'd be running uh, against the status quo. I'd be running against uh, com complacency and recalcitrance. I'd be running for Chicago. Um, I'm still bullish on this town. Uh, if Chicago were a publicly traded company, not only uh, wouldn't I sell, I'd buy because I know in my heart of hearts, uh, this is a growth stock, not even a value stock, it's a growth stock. And I believe that we will perform as such. But I also believe that Chicago needs and deserves much more than than what she's been getting. Been, been getting. Uh, we, we have to have plans for our future. And that would be uh, at the core of a campaign if I decided to move forward. Uh, we didn't create this problem, but we are tasked with uh, creating the solutions. And, and the only appropriate way for us to move forward is, is together. Um, well, that so sounds noble, Cam, but the fact of the matter is referendums on incumbents are what these elections are about, particularly an incumbent 
who is as embattled as Lori Lightfoot is and has been through a four-year tumultuous period as Chicago has been. You must make a case for why you are a better alternative or you will take the city in a different direction than she has. What is the case to be made? Listen, the, the case to for be made. For you and against her. Listen, the case to be made for me, if it was something that I decided to do for him, uh, would, would be some very clear and actionable plans about how we move the city forward. One, from a public safety standpoint, how do we create public safety in this city where everybody in each of our 77 communities feels safe? Because right now people don't. And what I know about being a Chicagoan, a lifelong Chicagoan, is that none of us are safe uh, unless all of us are safe. So we got to do something about that. We have to have it, uh, a mayor that's going to press the reset button on the relationship between uh, the Chicago public school system uh, and the Chicago teachers union. Because the truth of the matter is that uh, we are teetering perpetually on the brink of strike every few months, and we are doing our young people a disservice. Furthermore, we have to create a more um, robust public school system in this city where diverse learners, where, where Latino and Black uh, learners, where folks from poverty-stricken neighborhoods are able to get a quality education. Um, the truth of the matter is right now, uh, unless you are one of those 10 to 12 percent of CPF eighth graders who can test high enough to get into selective enrollment school, your public school options uh, are, are few and far between. Uh, we are asking our young people to go out into the global economy and to compete without having the proper resources they need to do so. Um, we've got to have somebody that's going to have a real conversation about how to have the most equitable economic uh, development and recovery process that we can have. We, we can we have the ability here to outpace every big city in the country when it comes to that, but we need plans for that. So, so whatever happens from this point on, wherever the next mayor of Chicago is going to be, and even if the next mayor of Chicago is the current mayor of Chicago, there has to be a plan about how we move forward. The, the pandemic has been bad. It's been horrible and no one could forecast this. But the truth of the matter is that we cannot make the pandemic a monument. We have to do work. We have to get to better and do what Chicago has always done, which is roll up our sleeves and get to work. Okay, so let's talk about these issues you just raised. We're teetering on the brink of a strike constantly in the relationship with CTU. Whose fault is that? Is that because Lightfoot can't get along with anybody? Is it because the teachers union has been too strident? What is the reason for that? Listen, it does seem like that there's a lot of personality conflicts there. Um, but the truth of the matter is that this should not be personal and this should not be about personalities. This should be about the fact that, listen, during the, during the pandemic, um, we lost 25,000 students. Um, if public education is, a, is considered to be our investment or our path to the future, then, then we, we're losing. So you know, I, I, no one wins in the blame game. Uh, everybody has a role to play in it. Uh, I think the mayor of Chicago uh, has to be the triangulating force in, in the conversation and to move, has to move the city forward. Why has she not been able to be the triangulating force? Listen, I don't know. I can't speak for, for the mayor uh, in, in, that, in that instance. I, I'm not sure. Uh, how we got here, I just know we got to get out of it. Uh, because as I look at the, the young people uh, in my district on my block, actually, I just had a conversation with a with a seventh grader as he was walking to school this morning, uh, and you know he is concerned because his grandmother told him that they're going back on strike again in the next couple of weeks. Uh, and whether or not that's true, the perception is real, and we got to look at the damage we're doing to our young people. Well, what responsibility does the teachers' union bear for that? They absolutely uh, bear a responsibility. 
listen, uh, as, I, as I said in the beginning of, of this portion of, of our conversation, uh, there is a role that all of us have to play. Listen, the, the, the city council, the state legislature, uh, the mayor's office, absolutely, the teachers union, absolutely. Um, and we're coming up short on every turn at this. And so nobody is absolved from blame, uh, but somebody's got to step up and, and, and kind of take it, take it on their shoulders and move us forward. Do you see a theme with Lightfoot that she has an inability to get along with not just the teachers union, but with a lot of other people too? Because I, I think that there's no secret that um, the, the mayor um, has a personality that a lot of folks don't like. Um, and, you know, that, that were, was true for previous mayors, right? There were folks who, who were fans of Rom. There were folks who weren't fans of Rich Daly. But at the end of the day, uh, it was about getting stuff done. And I think that that has to be the hallmark of how we do, how we operate in this city. I don't you or agree with you in order to get to a solution. But is her personality getting in the way of getting stuff done? It may be. And honestly, I think her, I think conversations about her personality are getting in the way about solutions in Chicago. Like even now, we're, we're spending, we spend a lot of time talking about uh, the mayor's personality, both publicly and, and privately. Uh, I don't know that that is, you know, the best way to spend our time and energy with, with so many problems going on in, in this city. There, there's so much that we should be spending time on. Uh, and I, I, you know, I find it woefully concerning that we spend so much time talking about, uh, you know, her her personal uh, effects, right? Her, her her personality. But whose fault is that? I mean, is she being judged uh, by a double standard? Is it misogyny or racism or anti-gay that that people are targeting her or? playing up this personality problem or is it a real problem that's getting in the way of her ability to solve major problems listen i don't i don't, I don't know um I don't, I don't know if there are any underlying factors behind those those folks who have talked about her personality um i think that you know People from around the, the spectrum, from around the city and different industries, you know, they, they've, they've spoken up and whatever their issues are, are, are their issues. But once again, the, the fact that we harp so much on it, um, you know, it's problematic to me. If there are folks who are, um, who are uh, not friendly to the mayor or to the mayor's policies just because they don't like her because she's a woman or black or a lesbian, um, then, then that's problematic. So, I, I mean, I don't know if that's the case, but what I will say is that we, once again, we have spent way too much time uh, bogged down in, in the politics of personality instead of the politics of getting stuff done. You mentioned violent crime and the fear of it. Do you believe that she has the solutions to violent crime? Do you think her police superintendent, David Brown, is up to the task or... Is he failing? Is she failing in this? Listen, Chicago has been a, a city that has had our bouts and our ups and downs when it comes to public safety and violence. Many people talk about 1994 as that kind of peak year where homicides were uh, through the roof and rampant. I remember Chicago in 94. I was a young man in Chicago on the south side in 94. I actually lost an uncle uh, in 1994. Um, uh, in a drive-by drive shooting for a bullet, in a, by a bullet that wasn't intended for him, uh, in a part of the city that I now represent in, in my legislative district, um, we we know what this looks like. We we've been here before, uh, but we know that we need to have better tools for a better fight. I don't believe that we have done enough. I don't believe that communities have been empowered. 
I don't believe that our law enforcement has been empowered in the right way. Uh, and so I, I do not think that, you know, our, our current status um, has been sufficient. What would you do differently? Would you change superintendents? What would you do? So I don't, listen, I'll say this. I, I don't know David Brown uh, at all. I've, I've met him once uh, and I won't spend too much time pontificating on, you know, his, his, uh, uh, his tenure at, CP, at CPD because I, I have not been able to sit down with him and talk about what he has or, or, or has not done. Uh, what I know is this, I talk to people all across the city all the time from Ravenswood to Rose and, and they aren't saying that they don't want police. They aren't saying that they want, you know, less police. They're saying that they want the police to treat them fairly. They say that they want um, more police that look like them, which is a, an issue with our recruitment and retention process that we've got to be able to address. Um, public safety, we, we have the ability here, I think, to set the gold standard for what constitutional community policing looks like and to also have a robust conversation about putting dollars and, and resources into our community organizations that need them the most. Uh, we've got a long way to go. And I think the the, the, the more time we spend on the, uh, the, the distractions and not the meat of, of, the, of the problem, the, the less safe we're all going to be. Well, she says she's doing all that. She's got a pile of stimulus money. She's spending a lot of money on uh, on uh, violence intervention strategies, and she has her Invest Southwest pro program to try to rebuild forgotten communities and give them the resources that they need. What is she not doing that is causing this violent crime to continue in this way? So we, we, we've talked about violence and, and, and community safety uh, and the lack of it as a public health epidemic, right? I think that that's the right approach to talk about it. But I also think that just saying it's a public health issue and leaving it there without going deeper is, is lazy logic. We have to um, not just look at violence like, pub, like a public health issue because we don't treat public health in this country very well. We got to treat violence like a very specific public health issue. We have to treat violence just like we treated COVID. And when COVID you know, showed up on our shores, the question was asked, what do we do to eradicate it? And the answer was, whatever we have to do, whatever we need to do. Um, and that, that, that include, included masks and vaccines and, and lockdowns, right? Um, we have to have that same type of uh, approach to the violence in our communities. So, so I understand that the, the investment that has been going on on the South and West side, uh, and, and I applaud that. I understand, um, you know, uh, acknowledging the fact that there are underlying factors here and there are things that, that got us here in the first place. We've got to do all that, but guess what? We still have to do more. Anybody that can look at what's going on today and say that we have done enough and that we have, um, that, that we have uh, uh, passed this test, they're not being truthful. And so whatever we're doing today, guess what? Tomorrow we got to wake up and do more, period. In January 2017, then-Governor Bruce Rauner appointed you to the board of Chicago State University. Two years later, you were appointed to the Illinois House to succeed Christian Mitchell when he became deputy governor to Governor Pritzker. A year after that, you're elected chair of the Illinois House Black Caucus. That's a pretty meteoric rise in a very short period of time. What makes you think you are ready to be the mayor of Chicago at a time of such unprecedented challenge? Listen, I, um, I, I'm a Chicagoan. I, I'm a, I was born here. I was raised here. 
my parents were public servants here. My dad, a law enforcement officer. My mom, a Chicago public school teacher. Um, I've made this this city my home, and I have decided to raise my family here. Uh, I've I've spent time in the public and the private sector. Uh, I've spent time in local government, state government, and federal government. I've spent time in both nonprofit in the nonprofit world, in the philanthropic world, and academia. Uh, I, I understand Chicago, but what I also will say is that um, being the leader of the greatest city uh, in the country, uh, which I've also said uh, to you, Fran, that this is the greatest job in American politics. It's a group project, right? The, the leader is the leader. And, and, and I think that my, um, my background, my knowledge, uh, my understanding of how things work in the city uh, will be uh, extremely helpful uh, one way or another, either as mayor or as, or as uh, an advisor or, or a confidant to whoever the next mayor is. Uh, but I also know that Chicago needs a vision for the future. Uh, listen, there's only one reason to run to a fire, friend, and you run to a fire because you have a hose, and you have a water source, and that's um, you know that, that that's a solution to what that fire um, brings, and 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 that's the reason that, I, that I'm thinking about this. Uh, that's the reason that I'm having these conversations, uh, and it's important to me that we find uh, a path forward. You were an architect of the sweeping criminal justice reform bill that is now under attack from Republicans. They are demanding a rewrite. They want to cancel the planned elimination of cash bail, which has not gone into effect yet. They point to the abuse of electronic monitoring and they blame that for some of the violent crime. You're dead set against that. You've said you have no intention of repeating the mass incarceration mistakes made during the crime wave of the 90s. What are you working on to appease people who are upset about violent crime? Yeah, so let me let me be very clear about the criminal justice bill. Um, we didn't reform the criminal justice system in my in my mind. Uh, we took the steps to begin to create the criminal justice system here. And why do I, why do I say that? I say that because heretofore, I don't believe we had a criminal justice system because there was no justice in our system. There was no justice for victims of crimes. There were no justice um, against the perpetrators of crimes or justice for our communities. We had a criminal legal system that put uh, profit over public safety. Um, you know, we have to find ways to challenge obsolete models to honor our past and to secure our future. Um, a lot of the conversations that, are, that I've heard from folks uh, are about going backwards and, and not reforming and not revolutionizing, uh, but completely repealing. And that is the wrong answer uh, to a city that, that really, really needs, um, and a, not just a city, but a city and a state that really, really needs uh, some solutions for folks who are saying that they are anti the criminal justice pillar uh, that hasn't, in many forms, not even taken, uh, you know, gone into effect yet. I've said this, it's like saying that uh, you're blaming um, Wednesday, Wednesday night's dinner for Monday morning's stomachache. Right. Uh, there, there is no correlation because to, to, the, to the crime spike because this has not taken uh, effect yet. But what we've got to do is make sure one that our streets are safe. And so how do we how do we do that? Um, we've got enough laws on the books that can handle all the violent crime that we deal with, right? But there has to be coordination between the entities that matter. There has to be coordination between the fifth floor of city hall, between the state's attorney's office, between the chief judge, between the sheriff. Um, uh, and the and the police department to make sure that we're that we're closing these cases that we're uh, you know addressing them in, in the right way. Um, we can't just be reactive. 
uh, and use fear mongering to try to uh, push a, a political agenda. It hasn't worked for us in the past, and, and we will be foolhardy to think it's going to work again. So what are you preparing? You say you're working on bills targeting carjackings and organized retail theft and the theft of catalytic converters and human trafficking. Is that going to be enough to appease anxious constituents of yours? Listen, my, my constituents, um, I, I speak to my constituents on, on, a, on a normal basis. And, and what they're worried about is, of course, one, quality of life crimes um, that we continue to address. Uh, to violent crimes, right? Like we we talked about how, how to how to get at the the meat of our violent crime issue in this in this city and in, in, in the state, uh, and we we put forth some some legislation uh, that makes it easier for folks to do their job and for us to to um, deal with the violent crime that happens in our in our communities. Once again, this is not about. I know a lot of times people want 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 somebody to take the bait and say, listen, we're going to we're going to do a bunch of penalty enhancements and we're going to make it um, tough, uh, tougher on crime. Guess what? We have some pretty tough on crime laws now. We just have to actually um, coordinate and, and put things in, into motion. There is the, 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 our, our carjacking laws, right? Our 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 first degree murder laws. Um, they're tough, right? They're tough. But the truth of the matter is that often in, in this town and in, in, in the state, the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing. And so the only way that criminal justice actually works, the only way law enforcement can actually work is if there's a network, um, a network and a partnership and a, and, a, and a synergy between the entities that need to work together. Well, what do you do with the 12 and 11 year olds who are doing these carjackings, some of them? Listen, that, that is a, that, that's a, a, a issue that I, I hear, you know, almost every time I'm, I'm knocking on doors and that's a few times a week. People want to know what do we do um, about the juvenile laws um, and, and the juveniles who are who are carjacking. Uh, it is a it's a precarious situation to be in because we know that you know currently folks are only being held for a certain amount of time and then possibly being left out. There are some conversations being had at Springfield in Springfield uh, about how to address uh, that. There is a public safety working group that every single uh, law enforcement or public safety based uh, law in Springfield or bill, bill in Springfield this year is going through. Uh, and so we'll continue to to parse out that stuff. And we have promised that uh, and committed that before the end of this session that there will be a um, criminal uh, criminal justice uh, bill to, to, to boot the work that we have already done. But there also will be a, a public safety based bill. Listen, for, I keep hearing people make correlations between, like I said, between the criminal justice bill and the current the current crime spike. But the truth of the matter is that there is a, a bunch of effective evidence that tells us that um, the, the crime spike is, is, is really tied to that 793-day uh, Bruce Rauner budget impasse where our community organizations were starved out. You know, um, this is about resources and about opportunities, and we've got to find a way to, to bring those to bear. But also, as I said, make no bones about it. If folks feel like they're going to keep our neighborhoods uh, under siege and um, commit crimes uh, in that way, then there has to be um, a real effort with all all entities uh, in the conversation to make sure uh, that they're brought to justice. 
You're a graduate of Morgan Park High School in the University of Illinois at Champaign, where you played football and were a member of some of these great teams that included Vontae Davis and Kelvin Hayden and Pierre Thomas and Rashad Mendenhall. I remember those teams. They were fabulous. What did you learn from that experience, that teamwork that you had? Yeah, so it was one of, it was the, the four greatest years probably of, of my life. Um, you know, as a young boy from the South Side who uh, really didn't know that I ever wanted to go to college, honestly, uh, and, and having the ability to have my college paid for through through um, through sports, through through football, and, and give my parents something to really be proud about was was huge for me. Uh, what I learned from those guys you mentioned, who are all still really close friends, and uh, all of the people that I met over my my four years uh, in Champaign. Uh, it's really how to have grace uh, under fire, right? Equanimity is probably the the, the biggest um, takeaway from those times. So when I when I got to Champagne, we were pretty uh, uh, abysmally bad team. We were at the bottom of the Big Ten and winning one one or two games a year. Uh, and as I left Champagne, we were um, really good, one of the best teams in, in the country, and uh, you know ended ended up even competing for Rose Bowl. Uh, what I learned was how to fight through it. What I learned was that football and sports often are, are very similar to life uh, and uh, not giving up is really the, the, the core of, of what makes a real champion and a winner, not how much you win or you lose, but what you do to, to, to get there. And so um, that was helpful. And then I think the other thing is that um, off the field, learning about uh, different people and their backgrounds and how to connect with folks that you may not even have anything in common with. Uh, that, that locker room for me was a breeding ground uh, for learning about different religions and, and races and, and different political backgrounds. Uh, and all of these guys were, were my teammates and my brothers that I depended on, on on the field, even if we may have come from different places. And so it gave me a real uh, understanding and openness to, to balance into the diversity of, of opinion. How would you describe Mayor Lightfoot's relationship with the General Assembly and our cloud in Springfield compared to Rahm Emanuel and Richard M. Daley, for that matter? You, you know, she she lost on the elected school board, which you supported. She said 21 members was unwieldy. You did it anyway. Uh, the firefighters pension sweetener, the mayor claims, would saddle Chicago taxpayers with hundreds of millions of dollars in obligations. You passed that anyway. Uh, she's had a strained relationship with Governor Pritzker, with Senator Harmon, the president of the Senate. How is her clout in Springfield and why hasn't she gotten more done and more progress on the pension crisis? Springfield is an interesting place and you've got to know how it works in order to be able to, to work it. Uh, Mayor Daley obviously was a was a alum of the General Assembly. And so he understood a lot of the intricacies and the ins and outs. Uh, Mary Manuel. Uh, put together a, a team that, that had a lot of Springfield institutional knowledge and experience uh, to work through it. Uh, you know, I, I think that a lot of things have changed in the last few years. Obviously, there's been a leadership shift, um, and, and Mayor Lightfoot came in, you know, towards the, the, the end of, of some of that happening. Um, but what, what I will say is that I, I don't, from, from where I sit uh, as the chair of the Black Caucus, as a, as a member whose entire district is within the city of Chicago, um, you know, I, I don't have a clear understanding of what the city's Springfield plan is. Um, you know, I, I've heard recently that there is a, a public safety plan that the city's going to bring to the General Assembly. Uh, we've got three and a half more weeks of session left. I've not seen it. I've not heard about any specifics. Uh, and so I just, I just think it may be a lack of communication. 
uh, and you know that, that's something that can be fixed if, if you know, the doors are open just to, just to talk about some of the stuff uh, before it, it hits the table. Why not more progress on pensions? She's gotten really nothing done, and in fact, she was saddled with an additional obligation for the firefighters. Why? Listen, same same answer. Um, every year we start session in January, right around Martin Luther King's birthday, uh, sometimes a little bit before. Uh, and you know, I would imagine that the city would have a articulated plan that they would share with uh, the state representatives and senators. Uh, and the Speaker of the House and the Senate President about what they want, what the city needs and wants in this legislative session. Uh, we are once again here in March, uh, nearing our April 8th deadline. And that's, I still, I'm not sure that it, that it doesn't exist, but I still have not seen anything. Um, I think if there is no plan or if the plan doesn't, uh, isn't shared with the folks who vote on it, uh, then there will be no movement on pensions or, or anything else that the city needs. In 2019, you had a DUI arrest. You were taken into custody, pled not guilty. What happened there, and how will you explain it if you run for mayor? Yeah, listen, it was uh, I, I, I've talked through it uh, with my constituents, and I've talked to, through it with, 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 with the folks who have asked about it. Um, it was a night that I frankly should not have been behind the wheel. Um, I'm grateful and thankful that nothing uh, and no one got hurt. Uh, that night and it was a, a blessing that i'm able to, to walk away from it and learn from that situation and be able to share that with, with, with other folks um I, I don't run from my problems i you know I, I deal with them directly and i'll have that direct conversation with the people of chicago uh, if i decide to move forward uh, in the mayoral race uh, just like i've had it with the people of 26th district uh you know about that situation that happened three years ago and um you know uh, i continue i will continue to have that with them if, if they ask what did you learn from it? Uh, to, to follow your, your, your first mind, follow your first mind. Uh, and listen, lapse in judgment are uh, possible for all of us. Uh, but if you follow your first mind and then when you when you when you uh, realize that you could have done something different or better, you, you take that for what it's worth and you do it. During the pandemic, you were also stopped by police after shopping with a mask on, as we all had to do at a big box store. What did you learn from that experience? That experience was extremely disheartening uh, to me, uh, and and mostly Fran because uh, after it was over, I came back home. It was a Sunday night, a Sunday afternoon, I believe. I came back home, uh, cooked dinner, uh, watched some television. I think the the Michael Jordan documentary was on the the Last Dance. I watched that. I talked to some friends, uh, and I didn't think twice about it. And then in the middle of the night, for the next morning, I woke up and I was extremely disturbed. I was so comfortable with the way things went down. I was. Um, uncomfortable that I was so comfortable because it had, you know, similar things had, had happened to me uh, so many times throughout the course of my life. And so I, be, you know, I began to tweet about it and uh, it kind of blew up and took on a life uh, of his own. Uh, but what I, you know, what I learned from that, and I said this publicly, is that, you know, uh, the pandemic was going to give us some some new, uh, some new issues that we would have to deal with, right? So if folks had biases against people, uh, wearing a mask was not going to make that easy, any easier. It was going to make it tougher for many of us. And that we had to find a way in, uh, for this, for the sanity of us all, right? And, and for the sake of us, of us all to be able to get through this, this new world of ours uh, and not break down and become worse uh, for it. And so um, it's still, uh, it's something that I was happy that I was able to bring to the forefront. 
and shine some light on because I'm uh, as soon as it happened, I got phone calls from people all around the country who had had similar instances of, you know, masking while black or masking while Latino or, you know, whatever the case may be. And so I hope hopefully it shot, you know, gave people a chance to have a real conversation about how to move forward in, in, in that new space. So before we let you go, Cam, when will you make up your mind about the mayor's race and what will be the factors that will help you decide? Yeah, um, so uh, as I said, we are um, in the the last days of our, the last weeks of our, um, of our, uh, of our legislative session. So April 8th is our final day. I want to get past the session and then begin to have a few more conversations and, and think a little bit more about um, not just how to um, wage a, a successful campaign, but what a successful mayoralty looks like, right? It's one thing to win a race. It's another thing to do a good job at, at being the mayor. Um, this, I know that there are going to be a fair amount of folks who are going to do the requisite dance around candidacies. And you know, the dance goes, I'm not interested. Then it goes, I'm focused on what I'm doing now. Then it goes, people are asking me to do it. Then it goes, I'll run if you twist my arm. Uh, I'll, let me be clear. Uh, if you have to have your arm twisted to figure out whether or not you want to be the mayor of Chicago, you probably shouldn't. Uh, you can't serve in that role if you don't want to do it. And so I, I'm not doing that, that dance. I'm being very clear about the fact that I'm thinking about it uh, and I, just want to make sure that I can put together uh, what it requires to be successful, once again, not just in the campaign, uh, but actually in, in the office. So what's going to be the big factor, money? Your ability to raise it? I think I think ability to raise money is a is a, a piece of the puzzle, but I, I wouldn't put all my eggs in that basket. Uh, I think that we, we shun good people out of politics when we start the conversation uh, with that. Uh, you know, people power is really what, what, what drives all of this. Uh, and once again, I think I think if I can um, put together a plan for this city, if I can put together a plan to move us forward immediately, right? Because I don't think we have a lot of time to, to fix what's wrong. Um, then you know I, I will jump in and, and be serious about it, and it won't be a sim- symbolic campaign; it'll be a, a campaign to win. But it has to all come together and make sense. And you'd be the youngest mayor Chicago has ever had if you win. You're how old are you? Thirty four. I'm 36, and Carter oh, Carter 36. Harrison was younger than me, I'm sure. Oh, okay. You've already researched this. All right, Cam Buckner, best of luck, and we will see you all next week. Thanks, Grant.